Hello, hello, and welcome back to Organic Gardening for Beginners. My name is Jessica, your host from the blog Homegrown Food and Flowers, and this is the show that helps you get started and keep on growing your own garden with very simple, very sustainable methods. Today we are jumping back in to round up our little mini-series we've done here of addressing some of the common pain points or struggles that can hit gardeners, such as last week we talked about gardening as a mom and finding balance to still get out in the garden and do all the other things that you need to do at home and with the kids. And the week before that, we talked about gardening while renting. I rented for many, many years, and so I passed on some tips that I used for still growing, even though it wasn't my own space and, you know, you don't always have control with where you're at. And the first episode to kick it off was a Veterans Day bonus episode of gardening as a military spouse with some personal tips from my own experience as a military spouse and tying in a little bit of gardening on base, if that's your situation. So today we are wrapping it up with gardening on a budget because gardening can be a very, very inexpensive hobby and it can also be a very expensive hobby depending on what direction you take it in. And I would feel confident saying that I think most of us fall on the budget side. And so you won't see an episode called How to Garden on an Unlimited Budget because I don't think that's terribly realistic. Um, so anyways, today a little bit of a Side note there, we are going on with episode 33, Gardening on a Budget, the things you need and the things you don't. Alrighty, so as I mentioned at the top of the show, gardening really does not have to be expensive. You can reuse so many things that you bring into the garden. You can do a lot of things by hand without big tools or irrigation systems. You can grow directly in the ground instead of investing in pots or building raised beds. Seeds are super cheap when you think about how many potential plants you have in a pack and how long those seeds will last if you take care of them. So it's it can, like I mentioned, it can be very expensive, you know, if that's your style. It can also get expensive if you're investing in some things that will last you a long time, such as those raised beds or a light system or irrigation system or whatnot. But if you're starting off on a budget or you want to maintain on a budget, it's totally doable, very, very possible. Um, there are ways to either minimize what you need, reuse what you need, source them from free places, all kinds of ways to be thrifty when you're getting started and continuing to grow over the years. So I'm going to break this down into sections as far as seed starting, tools, watering, and your seeds themselves. Because when you think about it, that's really all that you need to get your garden in. You obviously need somewhere to plant it. You need the seeds, you need to water them, and you probably need some tools along the way. And within those categories, it's a very simple setup. So for your seeds, because that's obviously where it all starts, some of my tips for staying on a budget with them is to buy seeds in the fall when they're on sale. Because oftentimes seed suppliers want to get rid of that current year's seed stash before they release the following year. So for example, we're in 2023, maybe a month ago, two months ago, there was a 40% off sale from Territorial Seed Company, a very good, very reputable seed company. 
And they were just trying to clear out their 2023 seeds because by now, at the end of November, they are releasing and promoting their 2024 seeds. So it's a great time to get seeds that are on sale. And they are still totally viable. Most seeds last for multiple years as long as you store them somewhere where they aren't going to be exposed to extreme heat or humidity. That's the worst is the humidity. And so as long as you keep them in a dry, cool place, they will last for quite some time. Alliums, meaning like onions and chives and um, green onions, those will last only about a year, maybe two. They are known to not be viable for as long as many other seeds. For example, tomatoes will last for almost forever. Like you can save tomato seeds and a decade later sprout them and they will germinate because they just store really, really well. So try to get them at a discount if you can. And then another is to source your seeds from somewhere that offers free shipping. For example, Baker Creek Seeds, they offer free shipping over $10, which if you get just three or four seed packets, there you go, you've got your free shipping. And for them, they also give you a free seed packet with every order over $10. So really that four that you bought to get your free shipping, you are going to get five because they throw in a free one. And there are often different varieties that they kind of cycle through with those free ones. So chances are you can slowly build up your stash, especially if you make a few um, orders throughout the year or throughout the season once you realize, oh, I need this or that or, you know, I ran out of lettuce seeds or whatever it is. And so that is a very affordable way to get seeds delivered to you if you're not picking them up at, you know, your local Home Depot or Lowe's or whatnot. And um, for another recommendation for more budget-friendly seeds, Pine Tree Seeds is a great company that specifically sells smaller packets with fewer seeds so that they are a little bit cheaper. Many seed packets that you get will have 100 seeds or 75 seeds or, you know, somewhere around in there, which is awesome if you want to save them. But if you are just looking to get started in the cheapest way possible, then you can really make a difference by buying those smaller packets in your first year and keeping the cost down. So Pine Tree will sell seed packets that have anything from 10 to 50 seeds generally. Um, which is totally doable and and perfect, really, for what you need for a backyard garden. So there are two companies to check out and then keep your eye out for the sales. They are still going. I know that um, MI Gardener had their sale not too long ago where everything was a dollar a packet. So it's kind of like, you know, sales for anything. You just have to keep your eye out for those sales cycles that come through. And most often those are in the fall for seeds. Now for starting your seeds, a great way to stay on budget is to just direct sow, meaning that instead of starting them indoors, you plant them straight out into wherever you're growing, whether that's a pot or a raised bed or in-ground garden. And then you get to skip the whole process of needing lights or a heat mat or soil starting mix or the trays. Granted, those can be done budget-friendly too, but I mean, for bare bones investment for getting started, get your discount seeds or your free shipping seeds and plant them straight in the ground. And that's about as low cost as it gets. And direct sowing is, I think, a little bit less intimidating for people as well who are just getting started because then you don't have to go through that nurturing process indoors. So if this is you, if you're starting your first garden and wanting to do it on a budget, then direct sowing is a great way to do that, not only for the budget friendliness, but also just there are fewer steps and that can make it feel 
a little more approachable than, you know, as compared to starting inside. If you do want to start seeds inside, you can still do it on a budget. You can spend a lot of money buying trays with, you know, the the plug cells like the six packs and whatnot, but you can also do it very reasonably by reusing containers to start your seeds in. For example, using old yogurt containers that you've washed out or paper cups or deli containers like those clamshell things that lettuce sometimes comes in, you can reuse all of those. If they don't have holes in them, then poke a few holes in the bottom so that water can drain. But that's really all you need. And sometimes I prefer to use those like a clamshell that had strawberries in it or raspberries or lettuce or whatnot. And I like to use them because it, it promotes like a little greenhouse effect when you close it so that the humidity can be trapped in there and that helps certain seeds um, germinate better when they have higher humidity. So even though I have my seed starting set up, I still reuse some of those containers simply because I prefer the outcome when I sow in them. And for seed starting mix, you can buy a ready-made seed starting mix and that's relatively inexpensive, but to make it even cheaper, you can do it yourself. And this is one of those where there will be a greater upfront cost because you're buying in slightly larger quantities, but it's going to make it more affordable in the long run. So for example, if you buy a bale of peat moss or cocoa core, a bag of perlite and vermiculite, and then a bag of worm castings or a high quality compost, You can mix all those together in the right proportions and you have a really good seed starting mix that you've made yourself. Again, it's going to cost more to buy that bale of peat moss or those bricks of cocoa core as opposed to just buying a small bag of seed starting mix. But if you know that this is something that you want to do on the regular or you know you're going to be starting enough seeds that you would need to buy multiple bags of seed starting mix, then by the time you get to the end and you've used all of the mix that you made yourself, it's going to work out way cheaper per flat or, you know, per round of seed starting. So that one is more investment up front, cheaper on the on the end, whereas buying a bag of seed starting mix is cheaper on the front end and more expensive on the long end if you need to buy multiple bags of mix. And speaking of staying on budget with your seeds, this is an awesome, probably one of the best ways to cut your budget as a gardener is to start your own seeds or direct sow yourself as opposed to buying seedlings. I enjoy buying seedlings sometimes. I I start the vast majority of my seeds myself, but there are still some things I buy as seedlings or, you know, that flat I started that the slugs got and so I need to replace them quickly. You know, so I buy seedlings too, but it is so, so much affordable, like doesn't even compare to start your own seeds as opposed to buying them all when you're on a budget. Because one one four-inch pot can be anywhere from three to six dollars, at least where I live and have lived, um, if not more. I've seen some be more expensive. And then a six-pack of a vegetable or a flower or an herb usually runs anywhere from four to six or seven dollars. That's a lot of money for six little plants or one little plant. And when you consider that you can spend two, three, four dollars on a packet of seeds that has 100 or more seeds in them, there's no question that it's more affordable to start your own seeds. If this isn't a skill that you're comfortable with, I understand that seed seed starting is intimidating to a lot of folks or they've tried it and didn't have success. And so they're kind of soured on the experience. 
I would definitely urge you to try again because it's so rewarding to start seeds, you know, money aside. But again, it will really, really help you stay on budget. And just as a little teaser, coming up in January, February timeframe, I'm going to be doing a super deep dive on seed starting because this is one of my specialties. And I love getting people to start their own seeds because it just blows open the doors on what you can grow, how much you can grow. And it's it's like one of my passions within the passion of gardening, getting people to start seeds themselves. So again, side note, um, but in any case, for your budget, those are three really awesome ways to save money with getting your garden going. Buy your seeds at a discount if you can. Find somewhere that has free shipping or sell smaller seed packets to keep that initial cost down. Start seeds yourself as opposed to buying seedlings and buy or excuse me, make your own seed starting mix as opposed to buying it. Once those seeds are going and you need to take care of them, let's talk about watering. And watering can be, again, very, very basic, very, very budget friendly. Use a hose if you've already got it, or if you don't, get a watering can. You can get those for like five bucks or less and just hand water from, you know, directly from the spigot instead of buying a hose. If you go this route, just make sure that you can reliably water during the summertime when you are not getting a whole lot of natural irrigation through the rain because it's going to make a big difference in the performance of your garden if it's not feeling water stress of being watered too infrequently or just too little. Now, this is one area kind of like buying the materials for making your own seed starting mix, where if it is in the budget, then I would highly recommend using drip irrigation because I personally have found it to make such a difference in the performance of my garden. And I told a story once before of how when we moved to California from Washington, where I'm from, and it rains a lot. And so the the natural seasons take care of a lot of the watering for you. But when we moved to Southern California, obviously it's a lot drier, it's a lot hotter, and I was not watering enough for what my plants needed. And so that first garden struggled. It performed, but it struggled. And I realized how much more regularly I needed to water in that particular climate. And so the next year I invested in drip irrigation and it was like night and day. The second year garden was so, so much better, so much more productive, healthier. There were fewer pests because they weren't, the plants weren't stressed out, which is a a proven concept in gardening that stressed plants are more susceptible to pests and disease. And so by an irrigation system, what I'm referring to specifically that I have used is a timer at the spigot, the hose spigot, that then leads to a, uh, it's a half inch tubing that you then run out into your garden and you put what are called drip emitters into that half inch tubing that will drip the water right at the base of your plants. And there are a lot of different emitters and attachments and ways to manipulate the system to get it where you need it, such as smaller um, smaller tubes or little emitters that will spray to cover, you know, something like a, a lettuce crop or radish crop where you have a whole lot of plants. And that's a whole episode unto itself. All you have to do is go to that section of Home Depot and you'll see boxes and boxes of different types of emitters and sprinklers and tubings and all kinds of things. But at its absolute basic, that's what it is. A timer, that half inch tubing and simple emitters to put at the base of your plants. 
And so that timer is going to control when the water turns on and when it turns off. So what you can do is set it up to water first thing in the morning or at night. You could even do it in the middle of the day if you wanted to. Um, And then you can also dictate how many days of the week, how long it runs for, and it just puts the whole thing on autopilot. So really, you don't even have to think about it, but then you're also just making sure that your plants get the water they need consistently, which is going to help their overall growth. And again, it is an investment to get this going. I would like the timers themselves, if I remember correctly, are around $30, I want to say maybe 40. So it's a little bit of a higher cost for sure but it's something that you're going to use. It will last for years and years. I've had mine for at least five years um, and they just run on a battery so you can you know, recharge them once the batteries die. And it makes such a difference. I don't have it set up yet here in Oregon because we moved in June and I just didn't need to at that time. Um, but for the start of next season, I will definitely be putting in an irrigation system because it's just so helpful and you can choose when you run it. So during the spring, when it's still raining a ton here in Oregon, obviously I don't even need to turn it on. But in August, when there is no rain and it's warmer days, then that system is just going to take care of the garden, whether I'm here or not, and I don't have to rely on hand watering. So for irrigation, the two sides of the coin here, to stay on budget with a thrifty garden, hand water with the hose or a watering can, or go for a an upfront investment with drip irrigation. And if you want something that's kind of in the middle, you can do a sprinkler. Oftentimes you'll hear not to overhead water your garden, which might sound a little bit ironic considering it rains, that's overhead watering. But the reason people say that or experienced gardeners say that is because some plants prefer to not be watered from overhead or be rained on, such as tomatoes, because it can contribute to higher incidences of fungal disease. Now, if the difference is your garden gets water or it doesn't, and a sprinkler will solve that problem of your garden getting water, then absolutely do it. If that's the easiest, most budget-friendly method for you to make sure that your garden gets consistent water and produces for you, then do it. If your tomatoes suffer a little bit, hey, at least the rest of your garden is still alive and it's probably not going to stop your tomatoes from producing at all. Um, Whereas something like your lettuce or radishes or beets, they don't care about overhead watering. They'll totally take it. So think about what you've got in your garden and what your parameters are for how frequently you can water, you know, your budget and everything, and then make a decision from there. So a few different options to play with. Now, looking at tools for staying on budget, this is where you can also really save money because personally, I think I have a shovel, a hand trowel, a rake, and my clippers. And that's really all I reliably use. I have a few extra tools like loppers or, you know, a different size rake or a pitchfork and things like that that I've collected over the years. But at its essence, that's really all I need are those four things. And The cool thing about these is because they last so long, you can almost always find used ones on your local resale page or places like the ReStore or thrift stores, and you can find them for just a couple bucks each. And if you find one with a fiberglass handle instead of a wood handle, then they'll last even longer because you don't have to worry about the wood splitting or cracking or rotting or anything like that. So you can keep it super, super cheap. You don't need to go buy new stuff at the big box stores or the gardening stores. Buy buy used if you can and be able to move that money that you save to other areas like your seeds or your seed starting mix. 
All right. So let's talk about some things that you don't necessarily need in order to have a successful garden. And one of these we kind of touched on already, and that is in regards to your seed starting. If you are starting indoors, you can definitely spend more money getting set up with things like grow lights or heat mats or designated seed trays. And you really, it can help. I will say it can help, especially the lights. I don't personally have a whole lot of success with starting seeds just at a window, but it can be done if this is your situation. And just like with the watering, if it's the difference between not getting your seeds started or putting them at the window where they might be a little bit leggy and not as strong as under lights, then give it a shot. Put them at the window and see how strong you can make them. And I have a tip for getting your plants some extra lights without actually putting up grow lights. And the heat mats, they can help with germination. They can help with the seeds that really prefer warm soil in order to germinate, such as tomatoes and peppers in particular, and other crops that like eggplants, the the warm season stuff. But you can do without it. I didn't use a heat mat for years and my tomatoes germinated just fine. And I already addressed the seed trays, just reuse food containers. You can even cut a milk gallon, like a half gallon, uh, like the cartons in half lengthwise and lay it on its side and use that. You can cut a gallon jug in half and use the bottom as long as, of course, you poke holes in it. Tons of ways to save money on seed trays. Now, if you are growing at the window, and even if it's a south-facing window because it's going to get the most light, one way that you can really get around it being too dark or them the plants leaning towards the light coming through the window is you can put up a little reflective backdrop. And to do that, all you need is some cardboard and some aluminum foil. And so basically, you know, think back to the 70s, 80s, when the ladies used to sit out tanning and had those reflective Uh, almost like a fan under their chins to reflect the light back up at their face. You know, you see it in like the old movies and whatnot. It's, It's that. It's bouncing the light back towards the plants instead of, you know, back into your house. And so if you just prop that up behind them, then that can help your seedlings get light on both sides and be stronger, even if they're not under a grow light. And as a little clarification, when I say grow light, I don't personally use the expensive and more sophisticated grow lights. I use shop lights from Home Depot and they are much, much cheaper. If you're growing just seedlings in the house for a month or two months, they work just fine. If you're doing a full-on indoor garden, then you need to pay a little more attention to your lights and look at the temperature of them and the spectrums and all the details that I honestly don't pay too much attention to because they're inside for much, much longer. But for just starting seedlings, a super basic shop light will totally do the trick. Okay. And then for watering, I pretty much already covered it, but your things you don't need can be drip irrigation. If you can reliably water by hand, you don't need it. And I think I've even mentioned this before, but this is something I'm kind of learning about in the background is even here in Oregon, there are people who are designing their gardens to where they don't need any external irrigation. And there's this really cool guy down in Florida, Jim something, I forget his name. I'll link his YouTube channel in the show notes. He specifically grows a garden that he does not irrigate 
outside of when he transplants seedlings. And he, so he starts all his seedlings at home, transplants them, waters them. He might water them once more after transplanting, and that's it. He's built up his soil over the years to be so good at retaining water and the being the right balance of organic matter, and he mulches, uh, and he's a, a no-till garden, so there's minimal disturbance. And so he doesn't irrigate at all outside of that transplanting time. He's got a super cool channel, definitely worth checking out, whether for the irrigation tips or just in general to see how he runs his small production garden right in his front yard. For fertilizer, this is another place that you can really save some money. I think it is kind of a default to think that we need to put fertilizer on our plants on the regular. And in some cases, you might if you're starting with poor soil or nutrient Uh, deficient soil that you're slowly starting to build up. But once you get going, you probably don't need to apply too much fertilizer, especially if you are composting or, you know, whether that's regular compost or worm compost, and then you're adding it to the soil throughout the season. If you do need fertilizer, and again, I use some sometimes, in general, I rely on my compost, but by and large, I just use an all-purpose fertilizer that's good for the garden. You can find specialized fertilizers such as for tomatoes or flowers or acid-loving plants like blueberries. And those are all well and good and they have their place. And I like to use one for the flowers from time to time. But if you just want to buy one fertilizer and not invest in multiple different kinds, just get a an all-purpose garden fertilizer and that's going to work. I personally really like the Dr. Earth brand. Um, they have a, a nice balanced veggie garden mix that works on everything, whether it's flowers, herbs, or vegetables. And so that can save you some money to only have to buy the one thing that you use for everything. And then lastly, for the tools, there are those essentials that I already mentioned, but then the things that you really don't need are the tools that kind of only do one job. For example, I recently saw an ad on, I don't know, Instagram something, where there's this little stapler thing that doles out a piece of ribbon, staples it, and cuts it all in one go so that you can wrap your um, tomato vines in in this little ribbon twine thing. And you don't have to like, you know, measure out a section of your twine, tie it around your plant, cut the end. It just does it for you, which is great if you've got a thousand tomato plants to trellis or, you know, a budget for these little tools, but you totally don't need that kind of stuff when you're just getting started or sticking to a budget because it only does one job. Whereas something like a pair of scissors is going to do many, many jobs and do it just fine to trellis your tomatoes, cut your seed packets open, poke holes in the bottom of your reused yogurt containers. You get my point, obviously, that sticking with those basics that do multiple jobs is a lot more budget-friendly than getting a one specialized tool. Um, You can also find, you know, sets of like three different uh, hand trowels that are like a narrow one, a wide one, a medium one. You only need one. If you need a narrower hole, don't dig in so deep. If you need a wider hole, widen it out with that one trowel. It's easy to get kind of caught up, you know, as with anything in these cute little sets or, oh, but I could use that. But when you're on a budget, don't do it because you don't need it and you can invest that money elsewhere or save it and, you know, use it in other areas of your life. So put the put the one job tools away and try to get something that is as versatile as possible. And then for 
some some things that are either cheap or free by nature is mulch can be got, can be gotten, excuse me, totally free. I've talked about this a ton on this show. I have a whole episode, episode number 12 dedicated to it where you can find free mulch very easily, such as getting wood chips from your local utility company or arborists who drop it off at your house instead of the landfill. You can get lawn clippings from your lawn for free, or you can go and collect them from someone else's lawn. Just make sure that they haven't sprayed pesticides or the grass hasn't gone to seed. You can get leaves very easily. I just got some from somebody off of Facebook Marketplace where they had bagged up a bunch of leaves and they were looking to get rid of them. And I wanted some extras. And so she dropped them off at my house for totally free. Very easy to find free sources for mulch. If you are trying to grow vertically and you need to trellis things, buy natural twine in bulk at the hardware store instead of the white, uh, it's not plastic, I forget what it is, but it's like a white, more synthetic twine that you can get in the garden section. And that per foot is more expensive than just a regular natural, like a jute twine that you would find at the hardware store. So you can definitely save money there. If you are having troubles with pests and you are wanting to look into some insect netting that provides that barrier to keep them off of your plants, then tool, spelled T-U-L-L-E, it's a fabric, is a lot cheaper than designated insect netting. You can get it by the yard at fabric stores like Joann's, um, and it works in exactly the same fashion. The only difference is that it might not last as long as the specific insect netting because sometimes those are treated to resist uh, degrading with the sun's UV rays. So it might only last you a couple of seasons as opposed to multiple seasons with insect netting. But just like with many things, it's a great way to invest a little bit less when you're getting started to save money. And then you can buy the, the real deal later on down the road when money is either not as tight or you know that you are in gardening for the long haul or you're just ready to upgrade. And then my last one is for plant labels. You can reuse a lot of materials to make your labels out in the garden. And I'm, I'm not talking about like sticky labels, but the like the markers that you put in the dirt to mark your rows and whatnot. Reusing blind slats is really common because it's practically the same thing of just a thin white plastic strip that you can then cut into the lengths that you need, whether that's the common four inches or six inches for a deeper pot. Um, and you can find those very, very cheap at places like the ReStore or even on Marketplace because people, you can't recycle them. You you just have to throw them away. So a lot of times people are trying to rehome their blinds that they are taking down as opposed to just dumping them in the landfill. So those are very easy and very cheap to find. If you can't find them for whatever reason or you don't want to, then you can also use quart yogurt containers that you cut into uh, long skinny strips along the, the height of the container. And then you can write on the inside that is white plastic, just like a plant label. I've done this many, many times. Um, and it's a it's a very cheap way to do it. And then you have more room in your recycling because you don't have the yogurt container in there. You can reuse paint stir sticks from the hardware store if you've got some laying around. I would recommend putting the painty side up and writing on that as opposed to sticking it in the dirt. And you can also either reuse popsicle sticks from your kids' popsicles or getting a box of 
500 or 1,000 popsicle sticks is really, really cheap. They won't last for forever because they are going to rot in the dirt with the moisture, as all wood would. That's not really a pun, but I didn't mean to say wood would. Um, but popsicle sticks, popsicle sticks, excuse me, are a super cheap way to get going with labeling your rows or your pots when you are on a budget. So all that and like five tongue twisters later, that's the episode gardening on a budget. Um, basically, like I said before, it can be as cheap of a hobby or as expensive of a hobby as you want to make it. But there are some really easy ways to stay on budget. And hopefully there were a few in this episode that you can apply as you are getting going on collecting all your resources for next year's garden and come springtime when you are actually starting your seeds, that these few things can keep you on the thrifty side and make it a little bit more manageable for you. Next week will be our first episode in December. I feel like I say this every time these come around of holy moly, time is flying, but the gardens are pretty quiet right now, but we will still have our regular What to Do in Your Garden in December episode coming up next week to kick off our month. So until then, I wish you well and happy holiday season. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving, my people in the United States, and I will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.